Hello there and welcome along to the podcast. It is Monday, last day of November the 30th. I think that's right, isn't it? Yeah, the first Tuesday, the 1st of December tomorrow. How are you? I hope you had a good weekend. I hope uh, things are okay with you wherever you're listening in the world in terms of restrictions around the pandemic, lockdown. We're going to experience some sort of liberation in the UK, aren't we, on December the 2nd, I believe. So that's Wednesday. Not entirely sure what that will encompass just yet. Uh, depending on where you live in the UK, but it's uh, going to be some uh, ability to to visit people or even if it's outdoors, which is uh, a nice upsurge in sort of uh, uplifting uh, thing as we get towards Christmas. Uh, but I hope things are good. Thank you to the sponsors as well, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Had a cool uh, vinyl player actually up on the B&O Cheltenham Instagram page over the weekend, which I shared to my stories at Ed underscore Draper 81 may well still be on there. They're kind of uh, very transitory, aren't they? Only at 24 hours, is it? The stories on Instagram, I believe. Uh, but thank you to B&O of Cheltenham, headed up by Jason Briggs, fine man, fine team. Head up to uh, B&O of Cheltenham website and social media, get in touch with Jason, get his numbers, and you can get bespoke quotes around other equipment, not just Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham equipment, but other equipment through that sister company, Serene AV. Uh, so well worth exploring any options you might be looking at, particularly Christmas in mind. If you want to get some home entertainment systems for a loved one or some equipment, recording equipment or audio equipment, whatever it may be. Thank you to them. Thank you to Cytoplan, continued association with the podcast, food-based supplements, taking my Immune Complete 2 at the moment to keep up my levels of vitamin D, 3, zinc, uh, selenium, the key ones that my father, Dr. Mark Draper, nutritionist, and also a uh, GP, medical practitioner, former anesthetist as well, anesthesiologist, you would have called him in the States, but long-term doctor, long-term uh, advocate and obsessive about micronutrition. And he's been uh, working as a consultant for Cytoplan and firmly believes in their supplements as well. Head to cytoplan.co.uk and you get 30% off your initial purchase and then 10% off it there on in with the code Draper 10R D R A P E R 10 and then the capital letter R. I should say I spend about 50 pounds of my own money every month on supplements from there, uh, believing it's important under the tutelage of my dad. So it's not that I get free supplements from them, we get a discount, but very much believe in the product cytoplan.co.uk. Have been approached by other supplement companies about supporting them, but as I didn't take those supplements, I thought it was a lot more. Uh, genuine to back Cytoplan as we've been taking them for two decades as a family. So head to cytoplan.co.uk for that. Right onto the podcast today. A really good one and one that I'd done first of all last month or the month before with Sarah Shepard of The Athletic, fine journalist, uh, covered uh, national press as well, formerly Sport Magazine as well, which was a great magazine. Uh, there was a free magazine actually on the train in London when I was working there in the centre of London for Absolute Radio slash Virgin Radio. Feature writer predominantly covers football but covers boxing for The Athletic. Has written some great pieces. Written a piece actually over the weekend reflecting on Daniel Dubois' loss and his retirement in the 10th round against Joe Joyce. Dubois, the young fighter from London, has come in for a bit of criticism. We analysed that and our perspective on it as non-professional boxers. Uh, which is perhaps different than some of the stuff flying around on social media from from former fighters, former fighters who are champions, in fairness. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, it is Sarah Shepard, and check her out online. And check out The Athletic online. Last day for it to be a pound a month uh, 
for 12 months. So it's a good deal. Black Friday deal. Uh, definitely look that one up at theathletic.com. Okay, here she is, Sarah Shepard. And here we go. We are recording once again with Sarah Shepard. Sarah, how are you? Great to speak to you again. Hi, Eddie. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm really sorry about last time because your podcast was up for a few hours and I listened to it after work and realised I'd, I'd skittered in and out. For some reason, recording had, had synced and it sounded like we were sort of yelling at each other a little bit over each other. So it's, it's great to, to speak to you again. Yeah, I'll try not to talk over you this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think it was just the technology. I think it was with the, the app we were using, I believe, is affected by phone reception as well as internet reception. So um, I'm trying to learn all these these things during lockdown and the complicated aspects of the technology, which isn't isn't my forte for sure. But h- how are you? H- how's the pregnancy going and everything? Are you well? Uh, yes, touch wood. Um, we are just just entered week 28, which is quite terrifying. Um, <laughs> because it means it's actually quite close um so yeah yeah but touch wood all all going well so far thank you um still managing to to exercise and stuff and be active which is quite important to me Um, right so yeah hopefully that will continue (laughs) what what sort of exercise have you been doing while you're Um, pregnant so i've been doing three kind of weight sessions a week um Mm. and i've been been I, i normally train by myself i've never really I've done bits of where I've had a personal trainer in the past, but um, mm. but I'm quite happy training on my own. But um, because I, I, I wanted to to use someone who specialises, you know, who's who knows what all the do's and don'ts of, of prenatal training. So um, yeah. I've had a someone kind of design a program for me, and she checks all the weights that I'm using each week, and she'll tweak it depending on if exercises are suddenly feeling hard with a growing bump um mm. so that's been really useful um yeah. because I, I i kind of was confused by all the like the abdominal stuff i was like do are you supposed to work your core or am i not supposed to work my core yeah yeah <laughs> um, it's big it's, it's quite interesting um because i think a lot of people would think oh no you shouldn't you shouldn't do anything to stress the core but actually there are ways that you should be working your core just not in the kind of old school sit-up way Mm, mm. yeah i suppose it, in a way you're back as well it's a sort of a pressure point isn't it for people who are women who are pregnant because it's a big weight you're carrying in front so to do exercises is probably quite a wise thing to do in a way to keep keep the sort of movement there yeah i mean i've had touch wood no lower back pain and and i don't know how much of that is to do with the the weight training and like the focus on on the posterior chain with deadlifts and and rows except but um yeah I'm I'm pleased that I'm doing it I'll put it that way (laughs) yeah that's great and I suppose in a sense I mean not that I've got the empathy of of having been pregnant but my wife being pregnant I suppose with you not having to be going out in public as much as you were in a normal situation with the pandemic I guess in a sense that's allowed you to to sort of be more relaxed about what you wear and things like that as as a pregnant woman I don't know whether it's been different this time Definitely. I mean, I wouldn't have liked to have been commuting um, just because of the practicalities, like needing the needing the toilet every like 20 yeah. minutes. You know, <laughs> I, hate, I hate using public toilets. So that would have been really, really tough for me. Um, so it has it has definitely allowed me to, to be more relaxed, you know, to go for more walks because I've got more time mm. um, that would have been lost to commuting. Um, mm. So it's definitely in that way been a bonus. Obviously, there's been downsides like not having your partner being able to come into any appointments has, has been tough. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's pros, there are pros and cons for sure. 
yeah, hoping that by the time that the baby arrives in, in what sort of 11, 12 weeks that maybe the, your, your other half will be able to come into the, the labour ward and stuff. I guess that's been a difficult thing, actually thinking about it for, for couples. Yeah, I think the, so far they've been allowed in, but only once you're in active labour. Um, okay. I'm no expert yet on any of this, but um, <laughs> I think that means like in the early stages, you, you'd have to go in on your own, which is... You know it's not ideal um so yeah hopefully by by that time he'll be able to be there for all of it which yeah. he might he might hope is the case but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, it's um, quite it's quite dramatic but it's good to be there when the uh, the baby arrives for sure it's a yeah, ma- yeah, magical absolutely. magical moment um yeah. it's funny that, funny that i've been pregnant and needing the loo because i need the loo at the best of times anyway so it's probably a good job i, I can't get pregnant because i think i'd be uh <laughs> be even worse and, and trains are always a, a trial and tribulation for me because of exactly. that um drinking too much coffee and, and water i think is part of the problem um but how do you i've read your piece your really nice piece reflecting on on the weekend boxing and, and very considered with with daniel dubois ultimately succumbing to joe joyce in the 10th round of their match and there's been a lot of judgmental sort of assessment of that from former fighters with daniel but i suppose the positive news is at least he's he's well isn't he and, he, and he's obviously very badly injured but he will he will come again we believe yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to be writing another piece about that today and, and in terms of focusing on the reaction a bit more. Um, and I'm still trying to to almost gather my thoughts about it because I'm well aware that it's been, it's been really noticeable that the ones who are kind of almost the most critical of, of how Dubois reacted are the, the ex-fighters. Yeah. Um, and it's the fans, you know, the fans are more split, I think, but most of the ex-fighters have, have been quite critical um mm. which is really interesting um but i yeah i find it quite hard to get my head around you know calling or or saying that you know he can't come back from something like this mentally when he's a a 23 year old who was in the, the first kind of big big fight of his career mm. and i think it, it was clear from from fairly early on that maybe he didn't he wasn't equipped enough yet to deal with mm. a with with how joe joyce was going about the fight and then b to cope with the um almost crisis moment of, of carrying an injury through the fight yeah um yeah. And, and an injury so, that stopped you seeing as well so it's a significant one yeah from what i understand from what i've been told um once he was in the dressing room the doctor the doctor forced the eye open and he still couldn't see out of the eye Wow. which is pretty terrifying, I imagine. Um, I'm assuming, I'm no optical expert, <laughs> but I'm assuming that temporary sort of blindness is is part of the injury and, and hopefully, you know, we've not heard anything to the contrary to suggest that that is, is lasted. So that that's mm. positive. But that that's pretty terrifying. You know, if, if he, if he, we don't know, what we don't know is is how he felt at that moment. You know, the reason, we don't know the exact reason why after yeah. Joyce threw that jab, he he almost he put his he put his glove to his eye, didn't he? Yeah. Took a few steps back and then took a knee. We don't know why. Um, mm. We don't know if that was purely pain. We don't know if he'd suddenly realised that there was no sight in that eye and and that scared him, mm. which is understandable. Um, so that yeah, all of those things. I just think when when people say, "Oh, he quit." Like it, it's not that black and white. There's so many nuances, yeah. you know. Consider the point he was at in his career, and the fact that we don't know exactly what he was feeling at that moment. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's a really really interesting one. Um, yeah, as you the, say, I mean, 
nuance is the word and I suppose textured is the word, uh, word and looking at different perspectives. My, my initial thought when I started covering boxing, particularly is not having a boxing background. I know you've boxed a little bit recreationally and uh, trained in it. So I have a, more of an empathy for that side of it than I would. But I always prefaced it by having maximum respect for anyone who did it. And if I was getting paid to cover it, it was like, well, I'm not going to be judgmental about these people. It's not my role as a uh, you know, usually a presenter or commentator to pass judgment, particularly on pe things that people are doing things that I wouldn't necessarily have the courage or haven't demonstrated the courage to do. And to get in there, I think the former fighters perhaps have more of a right, but as you say, the former fighters have that empathy of understanding, but they don't have the specific empathy of what Daniel Dubois was feeling. And because in some ways you can reflect on it and think it's a pragmatic decision for, for prolonging his career, isn't it, to look after that eye? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine anything more tragic than having woken up on Sunday morning and finding out that he'd lost the sight in one eye at 23. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that's not what I want the sport to be. Um, and I, I understand that there is this code, in inverted commas, that, that fighters feel that they should abide by. Um, mm. But, but I, yeah, it's not, that's not the reason why I watch the sport. No, <laughs> um, no. That's one of the things I don't like about the sport is that kind of sicken, sickening feeling when, when a fighter, you, you start to understand that a fighter's been really badly hurt. Yeah. Um, so if, you know, if by him, you know, taking a knee at that point has, has stopped something like that happening and, and he's able to recover and, and rebuild his career, which he's going to have to do now, mm. then, uh, yeah, I have no issue with him doing it. Um, but I'm well aware that that, that is not, <laughs> That is not the, the opinion held by a lot of people in boxing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that sort of reaction, that sort of judgmental reaction and, and sort of to, to label him this or that, because actually you, you reflect on the performance and I think it, it was contentious in a sense and, and boxing it always is. I think sometimes you take the individuals out of it and actually think the system is, is very flawed in, in, in the way it can determine a result. If there's not, if there's not a stop, stoppage, how you determine the result with the scorecards is always to me um, too vague and, and too subjective but Dubois was actually winning the fight on two of the scorecards and handsomely on one of them wasn't he so it's not like he was he was battered to a standstill and just thought I'm going to lose this anyway and I'll, I'll get out of here so there was a it was it was actually a brave decision in lots of ways yeah but that that also throws another kind of um another another kind of element into the mix because watching it I didn't feel like he was winning the fight um, no. I wasn't scoring it round by round but it you know it it looked like Joe Joyce was controlling the fight with his jab um and it looked like Dubois didn't really know how to handle that um there were flurries where he landed on, on Joe don't get mm. me wrong and, and and Joe you could see that he felt those shots but he's got that you know amazing kind of granite chin that he's and the fitness to to mm. to ride those shots and the experience to know that okay i can and i felt this power and and i can take it yeah um, and he actually said that in the post-fight interview you know i was happy to take his power yeah which is is crazy um but he's got the experience to to know once he's felt it you know i can deal with this mm. yeah it's doesn't have that experience um and and you could kind of, i felt like you could see that but yeah to i mean i don't know whether his corner knew that he was winning the fight on the cards mm. um, and, and that's why they maybe didn't stop it earlier. Mm. Um, I think Martin Bowers has said that there's, there's every chance that, I think he said actually there were, you know, there were um, three rounds left, 10, 11, 12, but he felt the eye would only give them one more. Yeah. 
So there's yeah. every likelihood if, if Dubois hadn't taken the knee, Martin Bowers would have stopped it. And then, bizarrely, that makes it okay um, in, the, in the boxing world. The boxing community yeah. wouldn't have had any issue yeah. with it at all. Or, or Ed Robinson, who's a senior producer, former reporter and presenter at Sky, made the point on social media that actually what boxers typically do, they want a way out. And Ed had a, f- a few professional fights himself, w- would just be cover up on the ropes, not throw back and wait for the referee to stop it. So in a sense, as I say, Dubois made a, a clear cut and transparent decision. And in some ways, that is braver than, than doing something else. But the scorecards is, is, is such a funny one for me because when you're at big matches and there's a contradiction because A, the scoring is so subjective and so unpredictable often, but B, the cost of a loss is so detrimental. The two don't make any sense to me. It's like, oh, um, a boxer wins a fight and suddenly his career goes to another level. The person who lost, who many people thought won, their career is given a, a, a seismic setback. And you're thinking, well, these things aren't, you know, this kind of attitude of it's what you like is the sort of sense with the judges. It's, it, it's frustrating, isn't it? And it keeps, it keeps happening. Yeah, it does seem really arbitrary. Actually, one of the pieces that I want to do, I have started work on, is, is asking people within the sport, is there a problem with, with the way fights are scored and, and the judging process? And mm. if so, how do, we, how do we make it better? You know, yeah. <laughs> is, there a, is there a way of making it less... You know, it, like you said, it seems arbitrary sometimes and, and it shouldn't come down to just what a judge likes or what this judge likes. Um, and one mm. boxer that I spoke to actually said that they think in the rules meeting, um, the judges should tell the fighters, this is what, you know, this is exactly what I want to see. This is what I like to see. This is what I will award um, points for. Yeah. Which I thought was quite interesting. But then, yeah. but then you think, yeah. what, what if a fighter has... has um, put together a game plan for a particular opponent that doesn't involve those things and then they're told in the rules meeting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know yeah. it can throw all sorts of spanners into the mix so but but yeah it does seem like um that sometimes it's, it's based on it's based on things that are so arbitrary and and like you said it seems crazy imagine imagine if joe had lost that fight i know um, yeah at 35 he would have been written off so fast yeah um and and it wouldn't have been in my eyes. It wouldn't have been fair because he was he was controlling the fight. Well, that's the positive, isn't it? This outcome allows for more opportunities down the line for big heavyweight matchups because Joe, at his stage, his age, would have found it harder, I believe, to have the time to come back. Whereas Daniel certainly has the time on his side. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I don't know where it would have left Joe to be honest. Um, mm. And now, like you said, you know, he's he's called out Usyk. Um, there's been talk of the Tony Yoka rematch, which. While I'd like to see it, I don't, I don't see the, the upside of that for Joe now at the moment. No, um, he's progressed beyond Yoko, hasn't he? In, in terms yeah, of his, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if he takes on a Usyk and he loses, then maybe, you know, maybe that's a good fight for him to, to sort of get his profile up and, and rebuild. But that's, that's down the line. So, yeah, um, yeah it, um, it's in that way, it's, it's, it's a good result. <laughs> um, in yeah. every other way, Dubois, it's, it's obviously... It's going to take a long time um, mm. and a lot of work. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, there's probably, he probably needs a good two or three fights, I would think, before he's back yeah. in, in, in any sort of position to, to challenge at a, a higher level. Has to feel comfortable with that eye as well, doesn't he? Because we've seen with Kel Brook, and Kel, fortunately, was a world champion before he had those eye socket injuries against Golovkin mm-hmm. and, and Errol Spence Jr. Uh, but he hasn't quite, you know, a lot of people say that he hasn't been comfortable in the ring since really because of, of the fear over having such a seismic injury. I think he's got steel in both cheekbones or, or something like that, yeah, orbital. Yeah. So 
it's a big it's a big psychological obstacle just in itself the injury i suppose yeah i mean we still don't know the full extent i think he's seeing a specialist today um to decide whether he needs surgery um but either way i i, I guess once you've had that kind of injury you're always going to be conscious of it yeah um perhaps at his young age it it's slightly different to, to Kelbrook dealing with it. I don't know. I mean, at 23, you're still old enough to kind of yeah. you know, recognise the dangers, etc. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, this it, it's make or break for him, isn't it? It's one of those situations that could could turn him into the fighter that, that becomes, you know, makes the yeah. greatest comeback and becomes a world champion. Or it, it could prove his undoing. Well, we won't know for quite some time. It's a, it's a strange cultural thing in boxing that, though, that we see it as such a huge, significant setback for him because you've, you're up against the former Olympic finalists. I know the bookmakers made Dubois the favourite, but it, I think you've, um, well, you've obviously written a book that's been shortlisted for the William Hill Sports Book of the Year Award, which is fantastic with Roxana Begum, in the Muay, Muay Thai fighter. And I've been covering a little bit of MMA for Sky. And they do not view losses in the same way they do in boxing, which is interesting as they're both combat sports. It's seen as a... You know, if you have a string of, of consecutive losses and you're not competitive, then they'll look at your position in, in Bellator or in the UFC. But it's not as, uh, as doomsday as it is in boxing, which is really strange, isn't it? Because ultimately someone has to lose. And if it's a good match, you know, ultimately someone's going to lose as well. That's why, we want, that's why we wanted a Joyce Dubois fight. So in a sense, it's a, it's a strange brinkmanship that, that boxing has. Yeah, I mean, I do think with this fight, if, if Dubois had lost it, um, on points, I think it would have been slightly different. I don't think there would have been, mm. I think there would have been a recognition that he had maybe just stepped up too early um, and he could come again. Um, and some people are still saying that, but obviously there's the way that it ended, I think just has, will colour everything yeah. in terms of the, the reflection on the fight. Um, but I think, I think Joe Joyce really showed people the peg, pedigree that he has and, and the respect that he should have as a fighter. Mm. Um, he's you know he's been quite underestimated <laughs> since he turned yeah. pro because his style is not what maybe what people deem as an attractive style you know he doesn't he doesn't carry kind of explosive power um i think i heard adam booth actually on a on a podcast this morning talking about it he's obviously trained joe yeah and he said when he was wrapping his hands um he would never be able to wrap them tight enough because joe's hands were so strong his grip strength is he said it was on another level was he said it was like wrapping bricks yeah um so even though those punches don't look explosive he throws you know, a lot though doesn't he which is unusual for a guy that size he's, he's got an incredible engine everyone will tell you that um and and the just simply the weight of those shots is is enough to do serious damage as we've we've now seen um yeah like I don't know how true this is because it came from a member of Joe's team, but they they told me that everyone who's done ten rounds with him has broken a bone of some sort. Really? Um, <laughs> I don't know how true that is. Um, not good, not good advert good. for sparring, is it? Not put people off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, the last the last week of sparring, they were using um, I think three different sparring partners for four rounds each, and they they basically held Joe back and they said till the last four rounds, you can only use your jab. Mm. Um, which is basically what we saw him doing. And <laughs> um, yeah. he, he said it's a, it's almost a shame we didn't get to see rounds 10, 11, 12 in full because that the, the plan was use your jab until until the 10th round. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. You used the jab very well, actually, and that was a, a definitely a, a different tactic that we've seen in the past where he just unleashes with both hands and walks, walks through people, I think, and that's maybe a respect to, to Dubois' power yeah. as well. But he's a complex character, Joe Joyce, as well, isn't he? I wrote a piece for the Sky Sports website earlier in the year with him, and he's, he's got this painting on the side of it, so he's got this sort of the rage in the, in the ring and then the, the calm, artistic side, which is fascinating. Yeah, he's, he's, really, <laughs> he's really unique. Um, and he's so intelligent, which people don't really understand. Like sometimes gets lost because because he he's quite thoughtful in the way that he speaks, um, mm. and his brain just seems to work in a slightly different way to a lot of people's. Yeah, and that you know that's often a sign of of high intelligence, isn't it? Um, uh, takes a, and yeah, take, takes a beat. Yeah, yeah, he's got this artistic, creative side. He's he's a really yeah he's a really interesting character for a boxer. Um, and I, I spoke to Fraser Clark in the build-up, who mm. knows him really well from the GB setup. Um, and he said, like with Joe, it's 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 a bit different to most boxers. He didn't have to box. He came to it. He was 22 when he started. Yeah. He had success in lots of other sports. He could mm. have really done anything that he wanted. Um, and he's chosen this path. <laughs> mm, found an is, outlet. Yeah. Yeah, which is different to a lot of boxers. You know, it's it's there. It's not the only thing they can do, but it's their way out of something. Mm. Um, so for a fighter who's chosen that path, it, it gives them something different. Um, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. And I wonder how intense this year was for Daniel Dubois, being a younger man and living at home with his dad. I spoke to him earlier in the year and obviously his sister, Caroline Dubois, who is a, a fine up and coming boxer, hope he'll start the Olympics next year that he was, his dad was going out for them and getting the food and cooking. And I don't know how that changed over the year of the pandemic, but it just seemed like a very intense, focused situation in a sense, which can be a positive over a short term, but over a long term, I wonder how grueling this was for, for Daniel Dubois, particularly, you know, when you're a young man and still living, with, living at home. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's basically been raised to be a world champion there. I mean, the family story reminds me a lot of the, um, the Williams in tennis. Yeah. You know, and the father basically decided before they were born that they were going to be world number one tennis players and they were everything from the moment they were born was kind of put into that and and from what from speaking to joe it um sorry from speaking to to daniel it's been similar in, in the dubois family his dad yeah. decided early on you know this kid is going to be a world champion and and daniel wants that but i think now in particular i can just imagine you know the, how he's feeling now in in these days and, and the next few weeks will yeah. be like he's let everybody down um mm. which is going to be really hard for him to deal with so you know it's great it's great that he's got that family around him and that unit i'm sure will help him through it but it, but like you said it also can have the kind of opposite effect can't it yeah it can and i think martin Bowers, you mentioned his coach his trainer was saying during the fight you know you've got to be composed you're in the fight game this is it and i think I don't know what your reflections are now covering boxing and covering other sports. Is There's not a sort of gradient or a graded incremental level, particularly it seems in heavyweight boxing, where to be, to be as respectful as possible, you have big, lesser athletic, less coordinated guys, and you jump into suddenly a, a guy with, with the acumen of, of Joe Joyce. It's a, it's a huge jump, isn't it? It's not, it's not a standard progression like in football. You've got League Two, League One, you know, you've got Under 21 as well. You've got all this level tiered system whereas it, it's just not the way in boxing you, you do at one point suddenly jump up a level where where you don't know until you're there and it, it must be a shock yeah yeah I think it was um Sam Jones who's uh, Joe Joyce's manager said 
in the build-up that, that Daniel hadn't had that middle fight and, yeah. and that that would be his undoing. And, and he proved correct, really, because he did look he did look out of his depth, even though the scorecards didn't show that and, and maybe some of the rounds were close. Mm. Um, you know, he did look lost at some points um, in the corner in between rounds. Sometimes he looked a bit like, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure here. Um, and then, you know, the way that it finished, he, he, again, he looked like he, he didn't have the tools to cope with what was going on. Um, mm. And maybe that is because of that, you know, that lack of a middle fight and, and the lack of the kind of experience that he needs to go into a fight like that. Yeah, it's almost like playing Manchester United after you've been playing sort of National League North or something. It's a, it's a massive step up, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's huge to, to adjust to that. And I hope he does come back. It's interesting what you said, just going back to the scorecards, I don't want to labour the point, but it always fascinates me because there's so much outrage when things go against the, the, the consensus opinion. But the, the, the sort of the round by round cumulation, because what happens is there's so much pressure to give someone a round that if you like one particular fighter's style, it can be a really tight almost a draw is how you feel about it but you could actually have a wide margin of like 120 to 108 or something like that the, the gap can be massive because of the cumulative way I mean do you feel looking at there should be some sort of overall assessment maybe based on statistics or about punches landed power punches landed something at the end that that counterbalances the, the cumulative effect of the round especially that pressure to make it a 10-9 when maybe it should be a 10-10 yeah I don't really see the problem with giving even rounds um but mm. i know that it's not encouraged <laughs> um yeah but yeah in, in some fights especially especially in in women's fights actually yeah. because they're shorter um because the rounds are, are only two minutes it's it's often really difficult to separate two boxes yeah um and i think that's why you often get you know kind of contentious results in, in women's boxing mm. so yeah maybe maybe there should be some sort of overall um you know picture of how the fight's gone i've had people suggest you know maybe an extra two judges um so it's not you know and then you take the kind of three sort of average scores um yeah it's it's a really difficult one to know how to how to make it better <laughs> because yeah. it's been this way you know for such a long time um and it is a judged sport you know it's not yeah there aren't goals to count you know it's it's always going to be I think there is always going to be that element of of subjectivity yeah and you can't just count punches because then it's what quality of punch and how you even yeah. analyze that it's, it's it's very it's very difficult isn't it and I think it's it's interesting obviously we're not talking about people taking brown paper bags and being bribed but it's the sense of actually it's very hard to castigate someone if you're saying their opinion counts but then saying well their opinion wasn't the same as our opinion so we're gonna we're gonna vilify you in the in the press and in the media afterwards that you you got the wrong opinion which is is, is sort of counterintuitive to the, the whole process but you mentioned the two rounds in the women's boxing it was two rounds with Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr have you caught up on, on much of that over the weekend I know there's a piece up on the athletic actually today about it yeah, my colleagues in the US, um, Lance Pugmar and, and, and Mike Coppinger were, were all over that. Um, I haven't actually had a chance to watch it yet. I've only seen the post-fight interview, which was quite amusing. <laughs> yeah. um, and both yeah. guys looked, looked quite happy with themselves. I don't know if that was relief or yeah. what. But, um, it is funny that the general consensus across social media anyway seemed to have been you know, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, um, no. And Roy looked exhausted, bizarrely, because he's the one who been most recently in action, but is, uh, he looked he, was, well, he said he was exhausted at the end, didn't he? So. Yeah, well, I think that probably just shows who's been training harder for it. Um, yeah. You know, Roy, Roy is now training fighters, so he's, he's kind of got a, 
a day job, I guess, whereas Mike has obviously thrown everything into it. And, and, and from what I hear, he, you know, there were, there were kind of patches where he, he looked pretty good. So um, I, I was kind of, I was quite against it um, beforehand, um, just because I, I, don't, I don't really understand, like, understand why you take the risk. No. But, um, but yeah, they seem to have come out of it okay. I just, yeah. I don't really want to see it lead to more of these. No, is it, a, is it a precedent, I suppose? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Because, because Tyson's talked in the build-up about this being some kind of series involving him and other people of, of other sports yeah. as well, not just boxing. But do we really want to see loads of people in their 50s playing, playing sport? You know, like, I don't know. Mac it's and- so weird because, like, boxing is the one sport that you should, you, like, you, like the old saying, you know, you don't play boxing. Yet yeah, it's the one sport that people seem to, you know, want to to do even if it's not been their sport you know yeah, yeah. you know I want, I want to put gloves on and get in the ring I'm like what why why this sport why not choose something yeah. like tennis <laughs> but, you know people think it's sort of primal I don't think they realize and an aspect of it is but I don't think they realize how much hard work goes into it to actually learn the skills there's a lot of skills to be learned there but yeah like Freddie Flintoff and people like that have, and Rio Ferdinand got denied his, his license didn't he which is probably a positive I guess for boxing but the risk reward is is so different in boxing compared to a lot of other sports you know yeah. it, one punch can can do a lot of damage so I, yeah i don't really i don't really I, I do understand because i love the sport but i don't understand sometimes why people you know feel the need to take that risk i think you mind for ex fighters your mind plays tricks on you as well so for football when cristiano ronaldo finally hangs up his boots in 10 years time there's not many going to say look 45 year old cristiano ronaldo i want him to play up front for man U. he's going to be the player that he was when he was 25 but in boxing because you're the person who kind of decides yeah. you can you can oh I'm, I'm all right i'm all right and there's no coach or manager to say no no we don't want you in our team you're, you're an old guy now just leave it um, and, right. and, and there's the attention factor, Sarah, isn't there as well? That's the danger with the whole thing about boxing. It's almost, if, I, if people want it, we'll give it to them. Yeah, yeah. And um, promo- you know, there will always be an offer from a promoter out there, especially if you've had a name. Um, I had this chat with uh, Jamie Carragher and Paul Smith for a piece a few weeks ago, and, and they know each other quite well from the sort of Liverpool connection. But yeah. they've, they've both dealt with retirement very differently, so I got them both talking about that, which was, was fascinating. Um, and then we touched upon this aspect, you know, why do we see it in boxing? We don't see it in football. Yeah. And there are a lot of different factors that obviously in football, most of them, especially now, retire very comfortably off. The top, boxing, top end, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, in boxing, it's a very small percentage who retire and don't need to work again. Mm. Um, Paul Smith, his view was that if, if you're not coming back for money, which they, they don't all come back for money, um, then it's ego, like... Oscar yeah. De La Hoya talked about coming back. I don't think he needs. No, I don't think he needs the money. Um, I, I de- identity as well, isn't it? Tyson said after the fight, "This is him. This is what he does." Yeah. You know, he 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 felt like he'd rediscovered himself in some way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was Paul Smith has struggled with retirement. He's open about that, and and part of that is the identity thing. You know, he's he's been a boxer since he was nine. Yeah. Um, at thirty-five, he's retired, and now what are you? Why, why did why did he what made him retire at the time? Was it just he couldn't find a weight because he seemed to go up in weight and struggling to make super middleweight? It, he said um, in his in his last fight he he just he was seeing things but he couldn't he couldn't pull them off. Yeah, um, and he knew he knew then that he was done. Um, and him and his brothers, you know, there's, there's four Smith brothers. Mm. They sat down and they they'd always said that they would be open with each other. Like when you're done, we'll tell you you're done. Yeah. And they, they had that conversation and, and he knew, I think that he just knew deep down. Um, 
that, that he was done. His, his hands have been giving him problems the last couple of years of his career. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was that it was that in that feeling in his last fight of I can't produce what you know what I should be able to. I should be beating this guy, um, mm. and he didn't. He lost. Um, That's so remar- it, a remarkable relationship because I'm one of four brothers, and and we've all done different things in a sense. So it's there's not that yardstick to compare us, but it's fascinating. Obviously, they all became British champions. The four four brothers: Paul, Liam, Stephen, and Callum, of course. And, and arguably, Callum is the the most talented, naturally gifted and, and boxing wise and is a world champion and challenging Canelo now. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the, the dynamic, they've got that candor to sit down when their egos might well be on the line and that competitiveness that they can, they can be so honest and open. Yeah. Amazing to have that, to have that relationship. And I, I said to him, you know, you're going to have to have that conversation with the other three at some point now, because you're the, the yeah. oldest first one. Like how, you know, how hard is that to, to tell your brother that, you know, you should retire? But he mm. said, you know, that's just, that's, they've always had that, you know, that attitude. So then he's like, they did it for me, you know, and they're comfortable with the fact that I will do it for them. Mm. Um, but to have someone who's got that honesty with you in a sport where it can be quite hard to find people who are going to be honest um, because everyone's yeah. got their own interests um, is, is really, really important. And that's probably, probably one of the reasons why he retired, at an, at, you know, when he did. Um, yeah. When I, you know he was pretty open about the fact that he was, I think he'd just been through a court case with a, an ex-manager. Um, you know he could have used the money from one more fight, but mm. but then one more fight can be one one fight too many. Yeah. Was it was it was that real on his mind? Was it Paul that he had that intelligence to to know about the dangers of of I guess being in there in your heart, not being in it, your body not being in it. Yeah. I mean he's you know he's seen. He said he's seen ex-fighters. Um, who are what they call punch drunk, mm. you know, as we, as we all have. And he didn't want that. You know, he's got two young kids. Um, so he was, I think he was always kind of conscious of that fact that one more fight can can be the one that, that pushes you over that edge. Um, so the sensible side of him said, right, I'm drawing a line here and, and that's it. Yeah. Um, but that's quite rare, I think, in boxing. Yeah. One of the tensions in, in boxing, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on it after covering it for The Athletic now, is the tension between talent, ability and, and profile and ability to win attention. Because we've seen with the YouTube boxing, we've seen with you know, Freddie Flintoff, things like that, that people will want to watch someone have a fight, even if it's you know, someone who's unskilled. And how do you feel about that? Because that plays into women's boxing as well, doesn't it? There's been debate about the purses and Eddie Hearn saying, well, actually the market warrants this. But then at some point, there has to be an independent evaluation of actually people's skill level, isn't there? Like other sports, like you can't just be a Premier League footballer because you've got a lot of followers on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a really interesting topic and it's definitely getting worse in boxing in mm. terms of if you haven't got that profile, like it, sometimes it's, it feels like it doesn't matter how good you are. Um, you, you'll always have this ceiling where you won't be called upon as much by the promoters yeah because um, you need yeah. the match you need the matches don't you? you get you might have a winning undefeated record but at some point you need to be given the big fights so i guess it's hoping yeah. that the the governing bodies make you a mandatory or something like that i suppose it's the hope yeah. but it just makes your path so much more difficult um mm. and you know not not everybody is the kind of personality that wants to be all over social media i mean look at luke campbell He's, he's pretty open about the fact he hates social media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't hate it, but he's just not, you know, he's like, you know, 
he's got things to do. He's got, I can't remember how many kids now, three, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, he's in the gym. He's like, when am I supposed to make all these videos? And, <laughs> and stuff. Um, yeah. he's fortunate in that he had the, the platform as an Olympian, as an Olympic gold medalist. That yeah. helped him. But as a professional, arguably, like he has suffered from not from not having that that big personality or, mm. you know, the kind of he doesn't love social media. He's not always arguing with people or, you know, selling things <laughs> even yeah. on social media that some other boxes are. Um, that must be, an, it must be an energy drain as well using too much social media. I'm sure you find that in your work. You can get lost down rabbit holes, can't you? <laughs> if, you if you spend too much time on there. Completely, you can waste hours. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, sometimes, you know, when I'm writing, I'm sure you, you've experienced this as well. You actually have to move your phone mm. to a different room or just out of sight because, you know, if you've got a deadline, you can't waste hours down a, a Twitter or an Instagram rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it becomes like a sort of instant reaction as well, doesn't it? You start looking at your phone, and you're like, "Why am I doing this?" I'm not. And you sort of wake yeah. up, and it's it, as we know from that doc, uh, documentary, the social media yeah. dilemma. It's it's really skillful how they how they manipulate our psyche. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. So I mean, so expecting kind of athletes who who are supposed to be fully focused on their jobs to be all over social media is is really hard. And that, I guess that's why some some athletes have someone to manage that for them. But you don't really see that in boxing. No. Um, well, the money's not so great I, I, in boxing, is it? It's the, you know, the elite no. level is great, but it's even at... British very, very elite level. level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is difficult to, to tally sometimes the opportunities that some fighters get because of their profile compared to the lack of opportunities for other boxers because mm. they don't have that same profile, even though they might, um, in, a, in a meritocratic world, deserve it more than the other ones. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think, and I think... It's such a frustrating sport sometimes to compete in, I think. Well, we talked in our first uh, ill-fated podcast recording about the, the media landscape and it plays into that concept of attention, doesn't it? Because it is fragmented now. And obviously I work for Sky Sports and we, we have a stable of fighters, the matchroom fighters, but then there's other networks like The Zone, BT Sport, Channel 5 shows boxing. There isn't one sort of centrifugal place where boxers go now to have the Frank Bruno breakout moment on BBC or wherever that was, ITV, I believe back in the day, the, the, the 20 million people watch you. So in a way, you're trying to build up attention from so many different platforms. It's quite a complicated process now, isn't it? Yeah, and time-consuming. Um, mm. Yeah, there are so many um, boxing, like YouTube channels now, which is, is great for the sport. You know, it helps build interest. But if you're a boxer or a manager and you have to give, you know, interviews <laughs> to each one of them, like, that's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it amazes me how, like, Someone like Joe Gallagher, he does he does so many interviews and and he's a great talker. But yeah, I'm just like, how do you have time to do this when you're also managing a, a stable of you know ten fights? <laughs> Energy, yeah, yeah. It plays into the extroverts, don't they? People that enjoy and get energised by talking, it makes it a lot easier for them. If you're an introvert boxing, it is probably a lot more tiring for you to do that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think the the women's side of things is really interesting i think it's slightly more nuanced than eddie hearn likes to make out sometimes um yeah as saying you know once once you you're this popular then you'll make the money but the women are starting from a much a much um the women are starting from a very different place to the male fighters simply yeah. because women's boxing you know was banned for a long long time um mm. You know, it didn't wasn't in the Olympics till 2012, so they weren't able to have that platform until very recently. Yeah. Um, so and if you, gonna, don't, if you don't pay people, they can't dedicate enough time to it as well, isn't it? So it's a bit of a chicken and egg in terms exactly. of the standard. Exactly. 
uh, so expecting you know expecting the female fighters to be able to draw in the same numbers as the male fighters at this present moment is is for me it's not a level playing field um it's mm. going to take time before um women's boxing is can you know can be judged in the same way as men's boxing yeah in that of, in terms of numbers yeah one of the people that i've had a really engaging conversation with actually and i put it on my podcast and it's on sky sports youtube was with heather hardy who's a she held a world title actually in boxing <laughs> for a little bit but she's this kind of really engaging single mother in, in Brooklyn I believe in New York and she's got this great accent and she's very charismatic and she's very straight talking and she was talking to us months ago actually earlier in the summer about the disparity and the fact of being a boxing world champion the purses were less than MMA she felt the MMA world was was more developed more rounded in its appreciation of, of female combat sports stars what's your take on that because you've done the book with with Roxana, haven't you? Which is obviously getting some acclaim now. Did you feel that MMA is ahead of boxing in that sense of being more more equal? Yeah, because it's a it's a newer sport and the it it doesn't have as much kind of that old history to it. Um, yeah, and you know it, it it all comes all goes back to Ronda Rousey, doesn't it? With MMA, like before her, I think Dana mm. White wasn't interested in in putting female fighters on, but once she kind of showed how. Um, yeah. how attractive she was to viewers and people loved watching her. He realized he could make money. Um, but, you know, and that's, that's the business side of it, but, but he's done it the right way in terms of he's, he's built the platforms. He's given, he's given the female fighters the same promotion mm. as he does the male fighters. You, you don't see it. You don't see the cards kind of split into like, we're doing, a, we're doing a women's headliner this week or, or we're yeah. doing a men's headliner this week. It's just, this is the headliner this week. What, what um, did you think of that, the matchroom card? I know it was, there were some men on the undercard, but the, the three headline yeah. fights being, being female fights, is that positive or is that, do you think it should be everything's just thrown together where you have women on pretty much every card? Kind of, kind of divided on it. Um, I, I, loved, I loved the fact that there were three women's fights headlining it, um, mm. three world title fights. But then I, I also partly think it, it's better if it's, just, if it's just part of the card. It's, this is just another fight. Um, mm. And I think Katie Taylor feels the same way because I think originally Eddie said, this is going to be a women's only card. It's brilliant. And she said to him, I don't want that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I can kind of see both sides. I think when you're still trying to build the sport, it can be um, useful to, to do things like that. You know, mm. like when Sky launched the, the women's um, sports show. Yeah. Um, yes. And it, and it was kind of should you know, is this the right thing to do to ring fence women's sport into one program or, yeah. or should it just be a natural part of, of Sky Sports News? And I think it's a stepping and, stone for us to do that. Now it seems exactly. more inclusive. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and also I, I don't see it being a negative to have, you know, a dedicated half an hour slot to women's sport when, when it doesn't get lost among everything else. Like mm. I think that is a positive. So so yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm caught in between two stools with that. <laughs> yeah, I think we all are. It's, it's, it's kind of whether you, you manufacture it to that level or whether you kind of um, create a sort of false environment around it, but you do actually create people's interest in it. The MMA is fascinating for me because I think you're right. Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Chris Cyborg, I've interviewed for, who's a legend of the sport, people like Amanda Nunes. I would say that outside of maybe Conor McGregor, and Khabib, who's now retired, they're kind of the forefront names in the sport, arguably even more well-known than someone like John Jones, who's considered one of the greatest of all time. 
I think the women are as high profile, if not more high profile, aren't they? I think that maybe you say that's because it's a raw sport that's emerging in the different aspects of it. How did you find the sport with, with Roxana? Did you watch a lot of the Muay Thai and, and MMA? And what, what are your impressions? Because I've struggled with it viscerally a bit since doing it for Sky Sports. And it sounds weird, but coming from a, a fan of a boxing, you, you struggle a little bit with this when, when things go to the ground. I did at least, you know, they're kind of like, oh, no, everyone stop it. But they sort of jump on each other on the ground and it's very skilled. But at first, that was a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, I must admit, I don't watch a huge amount of MMA um, because partly for that reason, partly just because time-wise, like, um, yeah, <laughs> it's difficult when you're also covering football um, and boxing. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, the, the the opticals of it are can be quite difficult if you're not used to it. I think if I watched it enough, I'd get get used to people kneeing each other in the head. But um, <laughs> but there is it is weird that it's it just feels different sometimes to someone throwing a punch. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, but, I think yeah, it's because in, in society, if things go to the ground, even in ice hockey, when things go to the ground, it's like you break it up, don't you? It's like you yeah. stand up and you sort of Queensbury rules and all this kind of stuff. Whereas I think there's a perception that it's dangerous, but actually, that people will argue that things like submissions are actually less dangerous than getting knocked out with a, a, a boxing glove. So it's... Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. Like in MMA, if a fighter taps out, that's that's kind of fine, isn't it? It's not yeah. seen as quitting or frowned upon um, compared to what we've been talking about with, with Dubois in boxing. Um, obviously, it's very different because Dubois didn't have anyone's knee on his neck or anything. No. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it's an interesting kind of differential between the sports. Yeah, um, and the, small, the smaller gloves encourage quicker knockouts in MMA, which apparently they believe is actually better than the cumulative effect of, of boxing gloves, because they used to be four ounces in boxing 100 years ago or so, apparently. So it's, it's interesting, that dynamic yeah. too. Yeah. And they were rounds. <laughs> apparently Jack Johnson was playing four, wearing four-ounce gloves when he was having those like 25-round fights and stuff. So it's... <laughs> It's a, it's a fascinating one. But you mentioned the football. You're an Arsenal fan. What have you made of that saga unfolding at the moment? It's very depressing. Um, yeah, last night was, was quite tough to watch. Um, I, I honestly, yeah, it's going to be... I mean, yeah, it's... Um, I don't know where we go from here, to be honest. I mean, I, I kind of... I really like Arteta as a, as a coach. He seems... He seems mm. um, so much optimism around him, wasn't there, a couple of months ago? Yeah, yeah, and I'm trying not to be one of those fickle fans who who swings from one one thing to the other. Um, but it's yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a depressing kind of period at the moment when you look mm. at the table and see where we are. <laughs> it's um, I'm not quite sure how how he changes things. Um, could it could it just be that Emmerich Aubameyang is fatigued or out of form? Is that part? Is that a big part of it? Do you think? Yeah, he definitely doesn't look as sharp as 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 he has done in the past like last night he got in a couple of positions where you thought like surely he can do something mm. from here and, and just look you know he, he maybe passed it or just you know fluffed the chance so yeah there's definitely that but I think we were definitely relying too much on him um, and we still are yeah um, you know we've not been creating many chances at all in recent weeks um, so something something has to change and obviously there's the whole situation with Ozil, who is is a creative player, but but not even in the squad. <laughs> yeah, he's looking he's looking better with every game he doesn't play at the moment, doesn't he? That's yeah. the thing, I think. Yeah, and it happens every time. It happens every time he's out for some kind of period of time. Mm. Um, it suddenly becomes oh, you know, we need we need Ozil back, but then when he's in the team, he gets he gets slagged off to high heaven. So, yeah, it's um it's a real huge test for Arteta. You know, a young manager. Um, yeah. So a crucial kind of period coming up for us, I think, over Christmas. 
Well, you never know with sports people, and you know, in boxing, when people's natural peak is and when, when they're past it with Aubameyang, you're never quite sure because they've given him a big contract as a, a striker. And is it, when you're in your 30s, it could be that he plays for another six, seven years like Ibrahimovic, or it could be that he only has sort of a year or 18 months left. That's one of the, the great intangibles of sport covering it, isn't it? It's, it's, it's when each individual person will be kind of past their prime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at, uh, look at Joe Joyce, who's 35. and Yeah. <laughs> And now arguably, arguably on the verge of entering kind of the, the biggest years of his career. Um, Older than Kel Brook, yeah, which people, yeah, people yeah, say exactly. he's done, yeah. Mm. And the whole, the whole Kel Brook thing was interesting as well because he's just a year older than Crawford. Yes, um, yeah. And yet it was perceived, they, were, they were perceived as being, you know, ageing Kel Brook against a young, vibrant uh, Crawford. Yeah, um, this could be a very so good yeah. crawl because Brooks only lost to like three, three of the world's best ever boxers, isn't he? So it's not like he's, you know, it's not like he's losing to journeyman. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's very individual and, and each, each case is different, but like we've already touched upon in sports, sometimes the nuance gets lost. Yeah, it does. It does, doesn't it? We get very emotional with it and we, we swing around. Mm. How, how much of an honour was it for you to have the William Hill Sports Book of the Year shortlist? That was amazing. Like completely unexpected, really. Um, because when, when Rox and I started work on the book, um, you know, we struggled to find a publisher at first um, mm. for quite a while. Like we had a proposal and a literary agent sent it out to lots of publishers and no one was really biting. It was considered a bit niche. Um, mm. Then we left it for about probably six months to a year. And then Rox kind of came back to me and said, oh, like, I think we should try and do something with this. So. I um, found a different literary agent who I knew well and, and she, she went to a few publishers that she knew and, and, and then we got Simon & Schuster on board. So when, when you kind of go through that, you, you start to wonder, well, is anyone going to read this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when you're writing it, you never really know. Um, is this going to resonate with people? Um, so, yeah, to, to get that kind of recognition for, you know, an award that I've, I've covered in as a journalist for, yeah. for many years at sport magazine it was very very cool um, but is it, it, it's a sort of spotlight on modern britain as well isn't it and, and, and sort of combat sports as well for, for women but just the sense of you know roxana coming from a, a background of an islamic background where it was typically that women were expected and able to do less certainly not fires it's very layered like you say isn't it so it's an interesting uh look at our society and the different cultures yeah, and I think like I certainly resonated when when I first kind of met Rox was um, talking about that that feeling of being divided between two different cultures and and thinking well if I'm this can I also be that? Yeah, um, because people like to you know put themselves in boxes or put other people in boxes. Well, you're this and you're that. So that that kind of feeling of being divided between two different worlds was really interesting to me, mm. um, and that seems to have resonated with a lot of people. Um, also, what, what, the, what, where is she competing now at the moment? Can we watch her, see her, follow her? She's trying to make her way in boxing now, so as a oh, second okay. sport, um, and it, that's been really challenging. As a as a, a small female fighter, I think she's fifty-one kilos or even lighter. Um, okay, yeah. And and not having that boxing background, she's got obviously a quality Mai Tai background, but they're you know they're different sports was she not um, tempted by mma because muay thai sort of naturally dovetails more into that sometimes yeah, she doesn't seem to have been for some reason she, she yeah. loved you know as a as a muay thai fighter her 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 boxing work was always like her main strength rather than um the kicking or anything like that um mm. 
I think, yeah, I think she just felt, she, she fell in love with boxing, really. Um, Tell you a bit so, good person for her to reach out to is Matt Skelton, former European boxing champion, but he came from a Muay Thai background. Oh, um, really? And he talks about the complexities of doing it and, and you're particularly mm-hmm. grounding your feet, he found hard because he was constantly trying to throw a kick whilst throwing a punch. So for him, he said that was, and he said if he had his time again, he'd try and go in the UFC, but he, he was really good at boxing, successful in his 30s. But yeah, he, he, he learned, yeah it might be interesting technically. Yeah. yeah, she's been fortunate, like she because she signed with David Hay initially. She got yeah. to work with Al Salas, um, actually as part of that group with Joe Joyce. Oh right. Um, yeah. So and, and he's he's always been really helpful to her. Like if she can get out to Vegas, she knows that she can always train with him. Um, so she's learned a hell of a lot from him. But it's just it's hard to make your way in a sport where you're you're an outsider like boxing. Um, yeah. Promoters to put you onto cards. I think she did have an offer from Matchroom to, to actually be on that, that card a few weeks ago, but um, as an opponent, but the money, what they wanted her to go up, I think it was three weight classes. Yeah. Uh, and the money was not, the risk versus reward factor just wasn't, it, was, it would, didn't make it worth it for her, you know. What's she's, her wh- she's, weight class? Is it bantamweight that she'd be at or something like that? No, I think she's, she's even lighter. Fly. Yeah. So she yeah. wouldn't, because they try and put her in with someone like Shannon Courtney, would they try and get her up, I guess, but then Shannon Courtney would be a lot bigger than her. Oh, uh, yeah, she's much smaller than Shannon, yeah. yeah. I, think she, I think she said she could still make even lighter than 51. Wow. Yeah. She's tiny. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one because, like you said, that, that's, an, that's a huge opportunity for her, which is, I think, what, what Matchroom kind of said to her yeah. in terms of profile. So should you just take it or... Is it worth it when you know you you're basically being paid to go in there to to get beat? Um, it's a bit difficult thinking with women's. Good? It's a difficult subplot. Sorry to interrupt in women's boxing. Anyway, isn't it the the weight the lack of sort of depth in the weight divisions means that fighters are required to to yeah. mix mix with people who aren't the same size human beings as them. Yeah, yeah, it's a really really difficult aspect of of it, um, and it obviously it comes back to the fact that the, the pool of fighters is so small. Um, but yeah, it's, I always think, you know, it, it's ironic that it's the women that have to do that when it's, it's harder for women to, mm. to control their weight in some ways for, for hormonal reasons um, than it is for men. It, it's often harder. Yeah. Um, so to expect a, a female fighter to be able to fight in three different weight classes, yeah. is, uh, it's, it's really tough. Um, well, we had this, yeah, I had to speak to Chris Seibel because she's effectively calling out Katie Taylor in a, in a crossover sort of boxing match. I don't think Eddie Hearn or Katie Taylor is ever going to go near an MMA cage, but the, the, yeah. Chris Seibel walks around, she told me, at 170 to 175 pounds. So that's 12 stone, up to 12 and a half stone. Yet she comes down to 145 to fight in MMA. Ah. Katie Taylor fought at 140 pounds, but that is her walking around weight, 10 stone. So you're talking about you know, a very different size human beings potentially mixing. And I think, you know, that's a big footnote that's not really been covered in that. Yeah, that's amazing that Cyber walks around at that, that weight yeah. and then comes around so much. That's huge. Yeah, spars middleweights in boxing. Yeah, it's 160 Jeez. pounds, yeah. It's amazing, so. amazing she can still fight at that lightweight. I know. Well, they're very clever, aren't they? That's one of the, the problems in combat sports is the, 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 the obsession with weight of getting down as small as you can and, and weight cutting and all the different techniques for that. It's something that I'm not sure is, is healthy for people long-term. No, that's definitely an area that I want to look into actually for a piece. Um, mm. I don't know if, I don't know if MMA is, is, um, 
is worse than boxing or the same or the, the problem know. they have in MMA is there's much bigger gaps between the weight divisions typically so you've got like 145 155 170 185 then 205 is light heavyweight so it's effectively light heavyweight it's kind of similar to boxing's cruiserweight which is 200 pounds but it's yeah it's a big big gap so i guess you, you fall in the in the cracks there a little bit a bit like in boxing between light heavy and cruiserweight there's a huge gap there you know so it's i think there are yeah. difficult difficulty for guys yeah encourages risk taking that is maybe not the mm. not the wisest thing for for fighters health yeah yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating, the whole thing. I was actually thought, quick final thought before we go, is George Kimball, uh, famous boxing journalist, I've got his book, uh, it's excerpts of his actually, and counterintuitively talking about female combat sports and boxing, but it's called Man, The Manly Art, and it's chronicling. This one was sort of, I think, the last 10 years of his life in terms of 2000 to 2010 pieces he'd written. And he was, you know, in the forward by another sports journalist, an American guy, I can't remember his name, but he said that George Kimball was one of the, the last boxing journalist you know this is his profession effectively he did cover other things but do you how do you feel about that because you cover football still for the athletic do you think we're getting towards a time where you could become a boxing beat journalist would you want to do that if it, if it came up yeah that's an interesting question um <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i quite like having the variety i think because my first job in in sports journalism was was at a magazine that covered all sports and i got to cover yeah probably four or five different sports really um but I definitely definitely I like being able to get properly stuck into something um and that sometimes requires you to do it at the uh, you know by, by everything else has to get squeezed out mm. so you, I can often find that you know especially in the build-up to a period like this that we've got coming up, up in boxing where there are three or four huge fights my brain is is totally <laughs> focused on boxing and I just don't have the capacity maybe I'm not intelligent enough I don't know but I don't have the capacity to also be totally into what's going on in the football world yeah like I'm, I'm aware I'm aware of what's going on um but my all of my sort of brain energy is focused on on you know how are we going to cover these fights what pieces do I want to do in the run-up um you know how can we make our coverage different etc are you, are you going to do anything for the AJ Pulev fight? Are you going to do some pieces around that? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, there is a possibility I might get into the bubble for that. Um, oh, which cool. Would be, which would be very cool. I'm not 100% on that yet. Um, so that that would obviously give me the kind of access that, that I wouldn't have from the outside. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I would... Part of me would love, you know, to just, to just focus on boxing. Um, but but then I think I would also miss the variety sometimes. Yeah, it gives you gives you perspective of the sport as well. When you've got experience of other sport, you're you're in it. I suppose to get a bit of distance can can help sometimes. To some of some of the ridiculous things of boxing, like we said, the scoring it gives you a sense of perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I completely admire you know the people who who cover it day in day out, you know, relentlessly. Um, they are so in the sport. It's it's unbelievable. Um, I don't think I will ever be quite like that um, mm. because yeah, I do like to have, to be able to step back, like you said, and, and look at it from a, a broader perspective, I think can be quite useful. Covering a Joshua fight, I'd imagine from a features writer's perspective is more complicated than, than other fighters, isn't it? Because there's so much out there on Joshua versus maybe other, even 
sort of British titleists or European challengers or even world title level, it's, it seems like there's so much written on him, it's maybe harder to find an angle. Yeah, there's that aspect and there's also the, the access aspect um, with mm. him. I, I really like Anthony Joshua and, and he's got a great team around him, but it has become, has become more difficult to get time with him um, in recent years. Um, I covered him quite a lot around the Olympics and, and, and in the period after that. Um, mm. We did some great covers with him for Sport Magazine. Um, and when you get him, he's brilliant. But it, it's now that he's got so many sponsor commitments, it's yeah. actually quite hard to get to him <laughs> in any meaningful way. You know, that's not sort of ten minutes on the phone. Or um, mm. um, so yeah, it, it challenges you creatively, which is 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 part of the job that I enjoy. So hopefully, we'll find some way of <laughs> of covering it. I mean, the interesting thing for me with with the Pula fight is is the fact that all of the focus really even when you listen to Eddie Hearn is about what's next it's, it's about yeah Fury. worrying isn't um, it did it remind you of last year with the fight in New York yeah yeah a little bit um and, and I have spoken to a couple of people about it and they're like well he made you know he made that mistake once he's not going to do it again um but I just think I can't imagine what it's like trying to to build up to to an important fight knowing that there is this huge golden carrot <laughs> just yeah. on the side of it like the biggest fight in British boxing history, potentially. Yes. And you are so close to it. But yeah, how do you, how do you, you have stay? to be, but you have to focus in the moment, don't you? Yeah, massively. So that, for me, that, that's the interesting thing about, about the Pula fight. And we already saw with, with Dillian White slipping up against Povetkin, you know, that anything, anything can happen. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, um, it's going to be quite a tense, a tense weekend, I think that. So, yeah, it certainly is. And Pulev, you know, we can't disregard him, can we? Because I remember he got stopped by Klitschko. He actually coaxed a more aggressive Klitschko out. And I wonder whether that's Joshua's approach, whether it'll be different than the Ruiz fight, which the rematch was the last time we saw Joshua do the box and move. I wonder if he will be more aggressive against Pulev because maybe boxing may not be the smartest move on the scorecards. Yeah, that, that is also the interesting thing is which Joshua we're going to see for sure. Mm. Um, because we saw him change so much for that, that, that rematch against Ruiz. Like, is he going to go back to the Joshua who we saw before that? Or, you know, does he, does he box again? Like, like you said, it's, it's going to be really interesting and maybe give us clues into to what he does against, against Fury. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Dillian White and Anthony Joshua, actually, in the same sense, because they had that big fight in 2015 at domestic level. And then actually, since then, both have rebuilt. And I suppose there's a, a marker there. I'm not saying that, that uh, Joyce and, uh, and Dubois are going to be as successful as those two, but there's a, certainly a template in the case of Dubois following Dillian White of how White just rebuilt by basically just winning and winning and winning, didn't he? And becoming um, a, a better boxer, actually, from that loss to Joshua. Yeah, absolutely, and that was that was a that was a rough knockout that um, mm. the uppercut that he took from from Anthony Joshua. I, I, I can't remember quite what people were saying at the time, but I don't think anyone really predicted that he would go on the kind of path that he has done from there. No, um, I think Dubois is 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 going to have a much rougher time of it because of the way that fight ended. Um, but yeah, it definitely gives him gives him kind of a blueprint to see, you know. It, it's not a loss is not the end <laughs> yeah you know, it's yeah exactly yeah exactly it's not like we have a bad day at work if i have a bad day on air at sky sports or you have a bad piece it's not like it's curtains is it it's a very, very, very thank god for that <laughs> i know i know yeah well thank god that for me for me gibbering on um but the best of the best of times but yeah a, a quick one i would say the, the athletics is it still a pound a month for the next 12 months is that right can people get on that because that's a good only until the end of today only until okay. the end of today 
um, well, the offer expires tonight, I think. Okay, I'll get it up this afternoon then, so we can hopefully get a few people to listen to it. But that, it's, that's a great offer, isn't it, I think, for £12 well, for a year. I'm obviously very, very biased, but I think 12 quid, 12 yeah. quid for a year of, of access to, like, the amount of content on there baffles me sometimes. Um, you know, whichever kind of sport you're into, if it's your American sports or your football or your boxing or MMA, it's it's kind of got it all covered. So, um, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I mean, it's a no-brainer for me, but I would say that. So. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. I really, really enjoy it. And The Born Fighter out in all good bookstores for Christmas? It is, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Born Fighter by Roxana Begum and, and myself. Um, so, yeah, if you've not read it yet, um, obviously, please do and, and let me know what you think. Yeah, I'd like to check. I will check it out. Actually, put it on my um my list. My in-laws like to have a list, so I'll give them a give that on the list. <laughs> Very organised around their Christmas. But Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I'm glad you're well and and the pregnancy's going well. I look forward to reading some stuff on the boxing front and maybe the Arsenal front. I don't know. We cover we cover Arsenal, or are you kept away from Arsenal? No, we've got we've got some excellent Arsenal writers, so we've got it well covered. So unless they're yeah. they're in desperate need, then um, <laughs> I'll clear, especially at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely one to, to keep to keep to ground and, and watch that saga yeah. unfold as well. But thank you for your time, and we'll follow you as well. Social media, it's just is it Sarah Shepherd on on Twitter? Yeah, uh, Sarah Shep Sport on Twitter. Okay, Sarah Shep Sport, fantastic. I'll speak to you soon, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks, God. Cheers. Really enjoyed that conversation with Sarah Shep, and it's really interesting, I think, when you speak to other journalists who cover boxing about some of the conflictions and contradictions we see in it, that I think it's probably prominent in society as well, where we pay, uh, I guess, respect and ultimate acclaim. We give acclaim to profile, popularity, followers, in the sort of modern parlance of social media, versus maybe talent, depth, skill set, Perhaps we don't always acknowledge that. And I appreciate that courting public attention is maybe a skill in itself, potentially, for reality TV stars and and their social media arm of, of their quote-unquote brand. But in boxing, it's a very strange one where really talented people, men and women, aren't met, perhaps getting commensurate attention for their talent, get frozen out of opportunities, have to work harder for opportunities than less skilled people who just have you know more attention, move the needle more, is I think the... Uh, expression that a former UFC fighter said that Dana White wanted to see in, in mixed martial arts. So great to get her thoughts. Tough time for her as an Arsenal fan. Very weird though, isn't it? How the pendulum swings with, with managers. We lured them one minute like Mikel Arteta and then criticised them and that subjectivity and that distance we have, not knowing the intricacies of what's actually going on close at hand. But partly that's why we read, I think features like The Athletic perhaps shed a, little, a lot more light onto sport than, than other publications, which are just kind of grabbing attention in the, in the short term. But check out uh, the uh, last deal, last day of deal for the athletic pound a month. It's quite interesting that, and check out Sarah's work online. Looking forward to getting her take on Joshua Pulev and her angle in the build-up because it's not always obvious. It's looking for little tweaks, little looks, little insights that perhaps the the mainstream media isn't getting. Uh, thank you to her. Thank you to the sponsors: Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service. And installations. Check out BO of Cheltenham on social media, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, head over there. And if you don't want Banyan Olufsen equipment but want a quote on home entertainment systems or more nuanced assessment, any repairs done, check out uh, Serene AV, which is the same company effectively, housed in the Montpellier, in the courtyard in Montpellier here in Cheltenham, in the heart of Cheltenham. So uh, worth contacting those people. Thank you to Cytoplan for the association with the podcast. Remember the code if you want some supplements, whether it's fish oil, 
uh, holistic sort of uh, multivitamin like the immune complete range or whatever it might be glucosamine for your joints as uh, winter sets in you may be doing a bit of road running at the moment with swimming pools being closed like me uh, then maybe that's what you're after or, or whatever it might be head to cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk and the discount code for 30% initially and then 10% there on in is draper 10 r d r a p e r 110 and the capital letter r all the letters are capital there thank you for listening to the podcast if you enjoy it and can rate it on itunes comment fantastic i'll read out some of those comments on later editions of the uh, podcast as well uh, but yeah let me know as well ed draper 81 on twitter ed underscore draper 81 on instagram sports broadcaster in the uk enjoying these podcasts for a bit of fun really a bit more depth and enjoy the format of just freewheeling conversation reflection and thought thoughtfulness maybe it's not thoughtfulness maybe just on my part it is but things that i'm interested in i hope you like it i will speak to you again soon goodbye for now i hope you are well